This is episode number 134 of the Pioneering Today podcast, where we're going to be talking about how to naturally amend and improve your garden soil so that you can get the absolute most, so that you can get the largest crop and harvest from that space with your food growing efforts. At the time of this recording, we are in late winter, getting really close to spring, but not quite yet. It's been my goal with the podcast and all of the blog posts and the information that I share with you guys is to take you through and break down all of the steps and the things that we do here on our homestead so that you can go through the seasons and implement the same things in your area and with what you're doing in your home and in your garden. I want to officially welcome you to the Pioneering Today podcast, and this is episode number 134 with me, Melissa K. Norris, your host. This is where we teach families how to grow, preserve, and cook their own food using old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom to create a natural, self-sufficient home with or without the full-on homestead. Today's episode is brought to you by my book, The Made from Scratch Life, Simple Ways to Create a Natural Home. Some of the information that I'm going to be sharing you is actually pulled from right within the book and the Gardening Grow chapter. I don't know about you guys, but this time of year, the weather can be a bit fickle. In fact, just two and a half weeks ago, we had a foot of snow. Then in two weeks' time, we had a record-breaking 70-degree weather. Crazy how much of a fluctuation we had. And of course, it's too soon where I'm at to really be planting anything. Even those spring crops that you can put in before your last average frost date, it's still a wee bit too soon for those. I have, though, been able to start my tomatoes and my pepper seeds indoors this week. I'm sharing this with you because I'm just going to be telling you that growing your own food and gardening, they are plain out addicting, you guys. If you are a new gardener and you're just getting into this, no one tells you that come late winter, you're going to be pining to sink your fingers and bare toes into warm soil. You will have secret stashes, or maybe not secret, of seed catalogs, and you're going to have them tucked up under your bed, in your magazine holders, on shelves, in bags, and you will sit and go through these seed catalogs and almost drool. Sometimes I've even been known to take my seed packets out under the guise of organizing them. But those of us in the gardening world, we know it's because you really need a gardening fix. And it really hits hard this time of year when it's been so long since you've been out in the garden. And I have to laugh. People will share pictures of a lady I've seen on Facebook of a lady and there's like two feet of snow and she has her hoe and she's out there and says, I'm doing it anyways. As I shared, it's not warm enough for us to sow any crops outdoors But there is a lot to be done in the garden, actually, come late winter and early spring. When we think about gardening and harvest, seeds and seedlings, and actually harvesting our crops, right, getting the bounty from them, those tend to get all the glory in the gardening world. But there's one thing that we shouldn't overlook, and that is our soil or your dirt. So your dirt is what enables all of the glorious gardening process to happen. 
unless you're doing hydroponics, but that is an entirely another topic that we won't be getting into today. Today, we're going to be talking about your soil and your dirt. It's the food for your plants that eventually becomes the food for your family. It needs to be taken care of, and with just a little bit of forethought and work, it's going to reward you with less tomatoes, bigger crops, less disease-resistant crops as well, and bushels and bushels of harvest. Let's get down to it. Why should you test your soil levels, and what does that actually mean? Soil testing takes out the guessing of what your soil needs or what areas it may be deficient in. This allows you to know how to amend your soil so that you're doing it correctly and with it what it needs so that you're not wasting your time or your money or doing harm down the road. Because if your soil already has adequate or high levels of something and then you go and add more of that because you don't know it, it's kind of a delicate balance. And if you add too much of something and change that soil too much one way, it actually can be detrimental to the health of your soil and ultimately to the health of your plants. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And this is actually going to be part one because there's a lot to this. And as I sat down to start writing all of this out, because I sit and do the full blog post for you first, and then I record the episode. If you're new to the podcast and my website and the blog, welcome. Just know that whenever you're listening, you can go to the full blog post if you want to read or share or get resource links. And to find that, you can go to melissaknorris.com slash 134 because this is episode number 134. And you can find all of our back episodes by going to my website, hit that podcast button. They're all listed for you in chronological order. The most accurate way to test your soil is to take samples from several different areas of your garden because we're going to take samples from different areas so that we can get an average and that's going to be more accurate than if you just grab one lab sample or one sample from one part of your garden. You want to get it from several different areas. You send it to a lab. Lab soil testing is not only going to test for just your pH level, which we're going to get into pH level heavily on part two, but I need to touch base on it within this episode as well, which is part one. Lab testing, it's going to give you your pH level, but it's also going to test for different nutrient levels and composition of your soil. So is it more clay-based? Is it more sand-based? You're going to find out your major nutrient levels, so nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, Some labs tests are going to go down even further, so they're going to show you more your trace mineral levels, so calcium, magnesium, copper. Where do you go or how do you get your soil tested? Lab testing can be done at most county extension offices. I say most because it's a general rule of thumb if you're in the United States that your local county extension office will do soil testing. You take the samples in and they'll do the testing for you. However, last time I called to have this done with my local county extension office, they do not offer this service. I'm in Washington State and this was a couple years back, so they could have changed. I doubt it. But they are one of the few (laughs) states that don't offer this service. And I really don't know why. They did have a lab that they recommended to me. It was going to be, I want to say, between $50 and $60 to do it. I did not do it. I may in the future. I didn't do it at that time, mainly because 
I have a really great neighbor and friend who is a organic farmer. Not only is she an organic small farmer, but she's also does it commercially. So she has a lot of her soil tested and she's got fields right next to us. And so I know fairly well what my soil is needing for the crops and the things that we're growing. And we'll go more into depth than that, as I said, coming up. But that's just why I chose not to have that lab testing done at the time, though I may in the future. Usually, unless you happen to be in Washington State, check with your county extension office and they're going to be able to help you out with those lab testing. Another thing that you can do is you can get at home soil testers. So you can get kits that will help you test your soil. Some of them are only going to measure the pH level. So if your soil is acidic or alkaline, some of them will have a home test kit so that you can test your soil for the pH level. And you can also test for phosphorus, nitrogen, and potassium. I've got some links. You can check some of these different ways to test at home out for these levels. Highly recommend that you read the reviews. It's one of the beauties of when you're looking at stuff online is to be able to read the reviews and see how people feel if they were very accurate, how easy they were to use. If there's any real specifics that you need to pay attention to when you're doing the testing, all of that kind of stuff. So I've got some resources in there. Of course, the most accurate is going to be a lab test. So how do you improve your garden soil? Well, if you have your lab test, then you're obviously going to know the specific areas that do need to be improved. But there are ways to improve our soil regardless if you have a lab test or not. So I'm going to talk about some of those routes and then we'll dig in a little bit deeper. I need to say that I only use natural methods to improve our soil. So you're not going to hear me talk about synthetic fertilizers or using synthetic things to improve the soil and to feed the plants. Now, some people want to use those and that's totally fine. It's all up to you. But here on the homestead, I don't roll that way. So what I'm going to be sharing with you is from our experience and what's considered the more natural and organic ways to improve our soil and therefore improve our crops. One of the things that I recommend everybody does, and this is going to really truthfully be no matter what your test results come back as, the number one way or the the first line of defense or the first way to improve your garden soil is going to be to use compost. You can't go wrong with composting. Knowing what the other nutrients and minerals in your soil is lacking and the pH level is important, but compost is your garden soil superpower that everybody should be using and you really can't go wrong with it. The beauty of compost is you can make it yourself. Nature actually does it for us, and that's a homesteader's dream, taking your regular yard and food scraps and turning it into black gold or aka compost. There are a lot of ways to do compost where you will have just a big pile in your yard or a little pile, depending upon the size of your yard that you go out and you turn it every so often. There are the tumbling compost systems where you've got a big black. And the reason that you see black is because for compost to work better and to give you a faster turnaround where all of this stuff is actually breaking down into a lovely black hummus that you add to your soil and to not just be a stinky or wet mess because at that point it's not finished compost yet. And sometimes people get confused with that. But you need the heat And that's why you'll use a black tumbler and then you turn it so that it can get air in there and aerate and get evenly turned and distribute the heat within the compost. That also helps to break down any seeds. 
If you are using manure in your compost, you're composting down anything with manure or plant matter. And I'm going to talk of the difference between manure and regular compost because there are some differences, but a lot of times people will use those terms interchangeably. But if you're adding plant material, which you should be to your compost, but if it has seeds in it and you add it in there, the heat when it's composting properly, which is why we want the heat, that is going to actually help to keep the weeds down because the heat is going to stop those seeds from germinating. And there's also composting. So quick recap, because I kind of got off on a tangent there. You've got the pile method, you've got the tumbler method, and vera composting, which is with worms. I actually have a post up, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes for you at the blog post, and it's seven do-it-yourself ways to compost at home. So if you really want to look at all the different ways that you can compost and how to go about doing that, you can go and check out that post. So what is compost? Compost is the breakdown and decay of organic matter. So think wood, leaves, plants, vegetables. You've got your green material and you've got your brown material. So your brown is cardboard boxes, paper, dead wood, wood chips, that type of thing. And then your green material is, of course, think grass clippings, live plant matter, or things that you've just cut and put in there that are green, leaves, that type of thing. As it breaks down and becomes compost, you know that it's ready to put in your garden, in your soil, that it should be black and light and fluffy, kind of crumbly like dirt. It shouldn't be wet and stinky. So it's going to be a dirt-like substance. Compost, this is the beauty of compost and why I say compost should be put into every garden soil regardless of what your test results are. It's going to only help improve the soil. But compost actually helps feed the soil and it acts as a holding, like a little sponge for the fertilizers that are in the garden. And then it will help that slowly release and to feed the plant when the plants that you put in need to start drawing those nutrients out. Now, fertilizer. What is fertilizer? As I said, fertilizer and compost are not really technically the same thing, but a lot of people will use the term interchangeably. But fertilizer is used for specific nutrient deficiencies or to put certain nutrients into your soil to feed the plant. This is where having your soil tests come in really handy. But honestly, as I said before, I don't use a soil test every single year to fertilize. Now, if you are not familiar with your soil or you've been having issues, you're not familiar with your gardening area, I highly would recommend getting a soil test done so that you know what these are. And like I said, especially true if you are having trouble with your plants. But this is kind of where I use a general fertilizer, so to speak. We're going to go over the types of natural fertilizers. But most vegetables in an annual garden are fairly heavy nitrogen feeders, especially your tomatoes and your brassica families. So think cauliflower, broccoli, cabbage. They actually deplete nitrogen from the soil, especially your brassica families. Now, they do use other minerals as well. So tomatoes need to have a good amount of calcium. They need to have a good amount of magnesium. So there's other nutrients that are important in there as well. But nitrogen for most of your annual or flowering vegetable crops 
they can use a boost of nitrogen, especially true when you are using garden soil that you're planting in year after year after year because the plants are growing and they're taking all of these nutrients out of the soil. So we need to replenish it and to refeed it. I always use chicken manure in the soil as a fertilizer in our annual vegetable garden, along with proper crop rotation, which is too big to go into within the scope of just this podcast. Crop rotation is a whole nother thing. It does go hand in hand, but it kind of comes a little bit later in the year. If you're in the Pioneering Today Academy, you know we have an entire lesson on crop rotation and companion planting. But with crop rotation, it's kind of the thing is you don't want to plant things that are heavy feeders of the same nutrient in the same spot year after year after year. So if you put cauliflower in one spot of your garden, then the next year, do not put cauliflower or broccoli back in that same spot because it's already been depleted out of the nitrogen. That's kind of in a nutshell, crop rotation. There's more to it, but that gives you the general basis of it. But there's some cautions to using chicken manure as fertilizer. So a chicken both urinates and defecates out of the same hole. So it's all together, which is why chicken manure is very runny. It's also why it is very high in nitrogen. So this makes it an excellent fertilizer, but it also means that it's very hot. So it has too much nitrogen in it when it's fresh. You have to let chicken manure sit and age. Preferably a year is what we try to do. And it is best done when it's with some other brown matter or something else to break down with, like leaves, sawdust, bark, mulch, topsoil, something with it as it's breaking down before you ever put it in your garden soil. If you don't, you run a really big risk of burning your plants because it's actually too much nitrogen and it's going to kill the plants. Another kind of rule of thumb too is if you, maybe you're getting this chicken manure from somebody else so you don't know necessarily how long that it's been sitting or aging, but when it's fresh, it's going to smell like manure. It's going to stink, but the longer it's sat and been able to break down and to naturally start to begin composting, even though we're talking about fertilizer and manure in this instance, that's one way to tell. If it shouldn't have a really stinky, stinky smell to it or be really wet. I'm trying to think of nice terminology to use when we're talking about poop, but it could be a little bit hard. So bear with me here. Plus, homesteaders, we're not scared by a little bit of manure, right? Let's talk about best fertilizers for your berries and fruit plants and more of your perennial nature. So as I said, the regular vegetable garden, we always will use a mixture of chicken manure with compost and other items to feed the soil. But when it comes to my berries and my fruit plants... Using composted manure from cattle, llamas, and or horses has always worked really well for us and for friends. Now, I have cattle. I used to have horses. We don't have horses anymore right now on the homestead, but I did. I used to have horses. I actually used to do amateur barrel racing and uh, training and was really heavy into equines and loved it. But right now, it's not something that we've got on the homestead. I hope to get back to it someday. 
But we've got friends who have llamas and they have a beautiful garden and they always use the llama manure mixed with the bedding. So usually the straw from their stalls or their pens. We've got neighbors who have a really big, large vegetable garden. They have horses. And so when they clean out the stalls during the fall and the winter months, they will dump that onto just the out onto the garden spot. Then they let that sit all winter. Again, they're letting that compost and start to break down then comes springtime, then they work that into the soil and then they do their planting for the summer garden. Usually the manure is mixed with straw or hay. That's always been what I've seen done and has worked really well for us and for numerous people in and about our area that I know personally. Another route, you might be, well, I don't have big farms. I don't have livestock yet. Other ways that you can get manure. Now, I will say there's a lot of composting places. So if you don't have access to your own animals yet, you don't know a farmer in order to get manure, you got a couple options. One thing is you can go to the large gardening stores. They will sell usually chicken or steer manure in big bags and it's been broken down. It's not too wet. I will say we've done this a couple years where we didn't have our own manure or I just needed a really small amount in a couple of planting areas. And so we have purchased in the past some of these bags. And I will say that they do smell a little bit. So when you first put it down, if you're going the bagged route, When you first spread it out, so wear gloves, wash your hands really well, all that stuff. But when you first spread it out, it might smell for a couple of days, but it dissipates and goes away pretty quick. The first few days, if you're walking by the garden area where you've spread it out, you can smell it a little bit. It's not overpowering, but there is a bit of an odor just to let you know. That's one route that you can go. The other thing is you can make a liquid manure tea. Now, hold with me for a minute. (laughs) A lot of people like to do this for container plants. It doesn't have to be manure. You can also do this with plant matter, or you can do a mixture therein. Specifically, comfrey, you can make a comfrey tea. And for the specifics on that, you're going to want to check out episode number 104, which is Permaculture Gardening Guide for Beginners. There's some great resources and we break down about using the comfrey and making that tea to use to feed your other plants. But you're going to be either using, as I said, plants or manure. You cover them with water in a covered container, if at all possible, because even if it's plants and no manure, as this breaks down in this liquid, it's going to stink. So you want to have a lid on it. Plus, you don't want it to get spilled over accidentally before it's ready. Just something with a lid on it. So big five-gallon bucket works great, something that you can pop a lid on there. And you let it soak for a specified amount of time. So you're basically letting the plant matter is gonna break down, same thing with the manure, and it's going to infuse the water. Then you drain out the solid. So just like making tea, right? But we're talking plant food. And then you use that liquid to water your plants. So it's fertilizer tea, basically, that you're using. I use a liquid fertilizer for my container plants because container plants need to be fed more often during the growing season. I feed mine about every two to three weeks and you can make your own tea as I just explained to you there or you can also use a fish fertilizer. So you can get a liquid fish fertilizer concentrate and then you mix that into a gallon of water and feed your plants with it which I did that last year for some of my container herb plants I didn't have I didn't make a manure tea last year was really busy 
now I'm at home full time doing the blog and the academy and being able to work from home, which is fabulous. But just up until this past September, I did all of this. Plus, I was working as a pharmacy technician. Sometimes when time is of an issue, we only have so much time, right? I just decided that it was going to be easier. There were other things to me that were more important than that needed my time on my priority list than making the manure tea. So, And it was relatively inexpensive. So I just purchased the fish fertilizer. I've got a link for there if you want to check it out using organic fish fertilizer concentrate. If you don't have the time or the means, like I said, to make your own liquid tea, then you can grab that. And I did use that and I still have some of the concentrate. So I'll use it up this year. I'll finish that all up with my container plants. Let's talk about how often should you fertilize your soil? Well, as I just shared in my container plants during the growing season. So this is when the plants are actively growing and are producing. I fertilize every two to three weeks just kind of general right in there. Try to do it about every 20 days. But that's only for my container plants. And I don't do that all year long. For my fruit plants and our annual vegetable garden soil, I fertilize just once a year. And generally that is in the springtime. For the blueberries and raspberries, I apply the fertilizer when I prune them. And I prune them in the late winter and and or early spring. Depends on the severity of the winter and what the weather is like. So I prune them. Then I put down the layer of fertilizer that I'm going to be using. And then I place the mulch on top. Now, this is specifically for our blueberries and raspberries. If you want to get more information on the care of our blueberries and raspberries and perennial garden plants... Go to episode number 132, Perennial Plants to Increase Food Production with Less Time. I also did a Facebook Live where I walked you through all of that and took you on a little mini tour of our homestead. So I'll pop that into the show notes for you as well. You can check that out if you want to. So we work a compost and chicken manure layer into our annual vegetable garden soil in the late winter, early spring. The reason that we do it this way is one is it allows me to still harvest our fall crops into the winter month. And then if we do it in late winter, early spring, that still leaves me time to plant those early spring cool weather crops. We do use cover crops as well. That's another tool that we will use for our annual vegetable garden soil. Those will be sown in late summer, early fall. Then we can work that back in when we put the manure and the compost in in the early spring, late winter, we'll work all of that back in and that will continue to break down and to feed the soil as well. It's really important that we take good care of our soil because it's the foundation of all the food that we raise here on our homestead and not just our fruits and vegetables that we've mainly been talking about that in this episode, but also for our pasture. So we have to look at our pasture and the soil in our pasture because we raise all of our own grass-fed beef cattle. We've got our, we do pigs, the chickens, and those all rely on our pasture. And I'll talk more about in part two of this series about how we do that with our pasture. What type of amendments do we do on our pasture? And all of that's going to be based on your soil pH level. So we're going to be getting into that a lot more in part two. I had some of you guys message me, and unfortunately, you missed the free training that we did. I did a free one-hour live masterclass on planning and raising a year's worth of food, and it was an awesome class. So many of you emailed back to me and said, oh my goodness, 
That was amazing. I've got my plan all laid out now. I'm ready to go. I learned so much, which is always my goal and makes me feel really good to know that you guys get plans of action and you're feeling equipped and ready to do it because it's my mission to have at least 10,000 families growing at least one crop, enough of one crop to take them through an entire year's worth of not buying it from the store by next summer, 2019. In light of that mission, and because so many of you weren't able to get on the class or you're just joining me now and you're like, I didn't even know that you did this class, I'm going to be doing an encore presentation of this class the last week of March. So if you want to be notified as soon as registration is available, is one, be on my email list. I send out resources and emails every single week to help you with this. You can also go to melissaknorris.com slash food webinar, and you can pop your email in there. And then as soon as we're open for registration, I'll send you the link so that you can get registered. Or I just like to give you guys options. Can you tell? You can message me, shoot me a private message at my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Melissa K. Norris. Shoot me a message there. You can just put the words food webinar, get started. Then when registration is up, I will be sending you a message and boom, you can get registered. Moving on to our verse of the week. So we are still in Exodus and this is Exodus chapter 28, verse three. And this is actually from my Bible in a Year journal. So you guys are just getting to go along through me. And I'm just going to read you my notes from this day. Tell all who are expert, whom I have endowed with skill and good judgment, that they shall make Aaron's garments to sanctify him for my priesthood. When I read this, even though it's talking about in regards, obviously, to when in the Exodus, when God was giving them instructions for the tabernacle and the altar, and his holy place, and was establishing his priesthood through Aaron and the Levites, was that any skill that we have is from the Lord. It's not just enough to have that skill set, right? But to use good judgment with that. And so I just wrote a really quick, short little prayer, and I'm just going to share that with you. And it's, Lord, let me always use your judgment with my skill, and never think that it's my own. That is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for myself, that we will always be able to use our skills with good judgment from the Lord to bring him glory and to help others. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the Pioneering Today podcast. Make sure you come back next week. Episodes release on Friday. We're going to be getting into part two of improving our soil and increasing our crops. We'll talk then.